Good evening and welcome into another edition of Meet Me at Mutual. I'm your host, Daniel Shoptal, C70 of the Bat, at C70 on Twitter. Alan Medlock still out doing the coaching thing. It looked like the uh, Tulsa Hell Rangers have won their last couple of games, which is good. The rest of the record, not so much, but we'll we'll look at the positives. So uh, hopefully, Alan will be back with us here another month or so. But until then, joining us tonight in his chair is again Alex Trisafuli from Alex Card 79. Alex, how are you tonight? I'm doing very well. Good, good. And we also have joining us uh, Dane Perry. Find him on Twitter at Dane Perry. Uh, you'll also find him at CBS Sports. And most importantly for Cardinal fans, he's just started up a Substack, uh, subscription Substack called Birdie Work. Uh, Dane, how are you doing tonight? But well, actually, um, how are you doing tonight versus this afternoon, let's say? Okay, yeah, I, as I disclosed earlier, uh, I had some food poisoning today and I think I'm over the worst of it. So I'm, uh, I'm hanging in there. I'm doing all right. Well, good. So let's let's let for people that aren't familiar with you, because you've written on a national stage for a long time, but sometimes some of us are just kind of so so focused on the Cardinals. Let's talk a little bit about where you do, what you do, and and your history. Yeah, I'm a baseball writer for CBSSports.com. I've been with them for a little over ten years now. Uh, as you implied, I kind of cover league wide type of stuff. Prior to that, I was with Fox Sports for a number of years, and prior to that, I was with ESPN, and I've been writing about baseball on the internet uh, for varying rates of pay since the late 1990s, believe it or not. So uh, my dad, when I first started doing this um, for a little outfit called Sports Talk years and years ago, my dad uh, forced me to show him the pay stub because he did not believe that <laughs> and then like this was you know the nascent stages of the internet and he's just mm-hmm. like so you just type words and they <laughs> they get sent through your electric wires and you know and, you know all this kind of stuff so he still never he never really bought into it uh, but once i uh made the jump to espn he uh acknowledged the legitimacy of it i think so but uh yeah so i've been doing that for all that time and i i Grew up in Mississippi, a Cardinals fan, sort of the southern wing of Cardinals Nation down there. And, uh, you know, my inherited that from my dad, who, you know, grew up in Alabama uh, back when, you know, the Cardinals were the southernmost team prior to the Braves moving from Milwaukee to Atlanta. So family tradition, inherited it, went to, you know, we would make the you know, 12, 13 hour drive to Bush, you know, pretty much every summer growing up. So. The team's always been really important to me. I've never lost my fandom. I try to table my biases when I have to for you know my role at CBS. But yeah, I, I root for them. I follow them uh, very closely, and uh, I'm glad, always glad to be talking about them and writing about them. It must have been difficult then to to kind of put that table that passion, like when the Cardinals are winning the World Series, and you're you know that national that national writer has to come out. 
Yeah, you know, I mean, it's if anything, I probably overcorrect and am perhaps a bit negative toward them when I'm writing in my important national coverage mode, you know, <laughs> and, uh, but, you know, I, I think over the years I've been able to do that. I mean, I can compartmentalize pretty well when it comes to, this is the team I want to win, but I also need to be impartial about them and take a, a sensible remove when I write about them for, you know, for CBS and that kind of thing. Dane, I, I have a question. I, I think you're uh, a couple years older than me, so you certainly remember, like I do, um, the teams from the 80s, uh, although I don't quite have memories of the 82 team, or I guess no memories, as a matter of fact. But do you have, was there a team growing up that was kind of your team? Like, that that's the team that really hooked me into the Cardinals baseball. Yeah, 85. Um, I'm, uh, I'm 51 uh, just to get that out there. Um, hey, we've got somebody on here older than me. I'm very excited. Yeah, right. I figured. I figured I was the uh, <laughs> I was the uh, senior member of this little panel discussion here. Uh, I I do remember '82, uh, particularly my dad, and my older brother going nuts uh, when they won, but I don't have you know specific in game memories because I was 10 years old at the time and that kind of thing. Those have faded, but '85 I remember very well. Um, I uh, you know it was just. Jack Clark, uh, you know, coming over and providing some power and they still had all that speed. And, you know, Ozzy was my favorite player growing up and just, you know, Vince Coleman was still around doing his thing. And they just, it, the, the players I became attached to sort of following 82 as a kid, a lot of them were still there. And, uh, uh, you know, and they, they, you know, 85, they won like 101 games, which was an unimaginable total to me at the time. And, uh, you know, I, I had some cassette tape uh, that was like a retrospective of their season. Gussie Bush was on there. And can you believe that we won 101 games and didn't get it done and that kind of thing. But, uh, you know, the, the Royals, you know, obviously the Dinkins are calling all that sticks in my craw a bit, but they got smashed so badly in that game. I don't, you know, that game seven, that, that sort of helps me retroactively justify them not getting that call. But I, uh, that, that team, just that regular season was so much fun. And, you know, everybody expected the Mets to win that year. And that was such a, such a, such a rivalry in my childhood. And, you know, in my adolescent years that uh, topping that much more talented Mets team was just a lot of fun back then. So what has then led you to focusing? I mean, obviously you've had that passion for the Cardinals, but why, why now to start the Substack and start writing specifically about them? Uh, you know, it's it's been stuck in my head for a while that I wanted to do something like that, that I would love to, uh, you know, I, I never really want to be a beat writer just because I can't handle that grind. I just, I can't do the traveling like that. And, you know, the Cardinals already have some excellent beat writers. There's not really a need for that, I don't think. And uh, so I, I've always wanted to, I've always been kind of envious of those people who can home in on one team and really devote uh, to devote themselves to building knowledge about that one team as opposed to what I do, which is, you know, know a little about a lot instead of a lot about a little. Mm-hmm. And that, you know, it's just, it gets exhausting because there's always going to be somebody out there who knows more about the Marlins than you do. And they're going to let right. you hear about it, and, you know, about the second <laughs> reliever on the angels and second lefty or whatever. But so I've always wanted to do this. I've always wanted to devote my time and energy to doing something Cardinal specific. And I was like, oh, why not? I can, I have, I have, free time. I can, you know, do this on the side when I'm not, 
working for CBS and that kind of thing. What else am I going to be doing? Playing video games and that kind of stuff. I might as well do a little something productive with it. And I'm really loving it so far. I, I think I first saw you tease this or at least suggest the idea on Twitter. And you kind of, you know, asked your, your followers, I guess, is this something you would be interested in? And I was certainly interested in it. So I clicked yes. Um, and then, you know, you have a very national following and a lot of the national following doesn't need more Cardinals in their life. So they were all right. it, like the poll results looked like they were swinging. No, I don't want this. So I'm very, I don't know if they stayed that way, but if so, I'm very glad you ignored that, that poll and did it anyway, because I, I'm very much enjoying it so far. I appreciate that, man. Yeah. I, I expected percentages along those lines. Cause I know, you know, I have a number of followers that are not, you know, sick of the Cardinals and that sort of thing. I, so yeah, I was like, you know, if I can get like, you know, one third of, of respondees saying, yeah, maybe I'll give that a whirl, then I'll probably do it. I mean, I'm, you know, I'm not looking to get rich off of this or anything like that. It was just, uh, you know, something to kind of the kids college fund and that sort of thing. But mostly it's just something I enjoy. And uh, I wanted to find an outlet for this. And, uh, you know, who knows if it takes off, maybe I gradually think about making this my primary thing. But that's, you know, but I'm, very happy at CBS. Anyone who's listening who's above me at CBS, completely <laughs> pleased with the job. And that's by no means to indicate that I'm thinking about making a transition anytime soon. But, you know, it's media, helps have a backup plan. And I would love to see this take off and be able to devote, uh, you know, the rest of my career to this in some form or fashion. How has the response been so far? I mean, it is one thing to say, yes, I'm, I'm interested in this, but it's another thing to for somebody to go put the you know, monthly or yearly fee down. It is. That's a huge leap. And I know that. And, uh, and I floated, uh, uh, I think two fifty a month or something like that. Then I get on there and Substack tells me I can't charge less than five. So I was like, ah, they're already going to think I'm a liar, but, it, <laughs> but I was able to, you know, do a monthly rate that was more in line with what I was initially floating. So, but yeah, it is, it is a huge leap, but I think, uh, you know, I, I've been doing this a while. I think I'm a good writer and I'm going to, I think I'm going to be good at melding passion for the team with impartiality and that sort of thing. So yeah, I just, I tried it. And so far people have responded really positively to it. Got a lot of great feedback. Subscriber numbers are, uh, you know, you know, I, I'm not blowing anybody out of the water. Who's a major Substack writer, but I'm, you know, it's, it's been beyond my expectations so far and I'm really happy with how it's gone. Yeah. I don't, I don't really subscribe to a lot of those kind of things because there are a lot of great people on Substack, but there's only so many, so much time you have to read these things, but you know, to right. find something that was Cardinal centric and everything like that, that yeah, I went ahead and did that too. And it's, I have enjoyed every post that you've put out so far. I think they're, you know, they're, they're not overly long. They're good. I mean, they're just right to, to read and they're really well done. So um, if anybody's out there that has it, you know, well, where do they find it? Uh, Birdie work. That's B I R D Y work at substack.com. So I'm a, it's the, you know, the name I, I have a soft spot for plays on words and that came to me and I went with birdie work and dirty work, birdie work, trying to pass myself off as doing blue collar Cardinals coverage, but it's not really that I, you know, sit in my office and do it and watch TV and that sort of thing. But you know, everybody needs an image. Exactly. Exactly. Well, we are recording this um, on Friday night. Uh, the Cardinals are still looking for their first run against the Pirates, not only for tonight, but in this entire series. 
Um, let's just take a little bit of things that we're seeing tonight and just kind of maybe expound on them. And Alex, I'll start with you on this one. We saw Jake Woodford pitch tonight um, and, and pitch well. Uh, he, he didn't give up any runs. Uh, went five and a third, I think. Um, Adam Wainwright is, is on his way back. Does this does this change the calculus of how they what they do with Jake Woodward when Adam Wainwright comes back? Probably. Um, you know, I, I really don't know because this starting pitching, other than I, I guess Montgomery and Flaherty had a pretty decent start the other night that I, I think, Dane, I think that, that's what your last post was about. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, obviously those guys aren't going anywhere. Um, mm-hmm. uh, Matt's has not looked that great. Michaelis, um, depending on what, what you think of kind of like the peripheral stats on him, I mean, you can either argue he's been absolutely terrible or or say, well, you know, I, I think we just need to be a little more patient and those numbers will, will start to correct themselves. But, I mean, I would have to assume regardless of how – Woodford pitches tonight. He's he's probably going to be the odd man out there unless they're going to try some sort of, uh, I I guess six man rotation, which has never quite seemed something that they are keen to do. Yep. Was that your question, Daniel? I don't even know what you were well, asking. Help me out. <laughs> well, I think that kind of did it, but let's uh, let me turn it over to David. Basically, yeah, I mean, before tonight, you could have seen that Woodford went back to the minor leagues and you know continued on a ro- on rotation but pitching as well as he did does that mean that they're more likely to keep him in the majors and use him as a bullpen arm or do they still send him down because well that's just the best thing to do for him i see First up, that was a that was a veteran move by alex you you answer the question you wish you were asked and not the one you were asked <laughs> i wanted to talk about wilson Contreras. Uh, yeah. but... <laughs> we're getting there we're getting there i <laughs> Uh, I, I have no idea. That's my answer, I think. There you go. That always works. Honesty, candor. Uh, yeah, I, I mean, I think, I personally think Woodford has a place in the bullpen, uh, given how, you know, ineffective uh, uh, Jordan Hicks has been. And uh, yeah, I think there's need for, uh, oh, probably a right-handed bridge guy. And, you know, he can serve that long role, uh, considering, you know, the trouble that their starters have had working deep into games, that long roll could become pretty prominent. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, I think he's, I think he has an active roster spot. I think the swingman role is, is good for him. And, you know, somebody's going to get hurt or be ineffective mm-hmm. too long to ignore. And that's just, you know, that's just, we knew that over the winter and they didn't do anything about it. And that's still, you know, it's still a house of cards rotation with some potential. Yes. But, just when you look at the injury and performance concerns, they're just all over the place. And, you know, somebody's going to, you know, they're, they're going to need more starts out of Woodford for sure. Yeah. And, and I think that's, that's fair. I'll, and I want to come back to Jordan Hicks. I'm going to have to write all these things down. Um, you know, that being said, the, the biggest problem for Jake Woodford staying at the majors, maybe the fact that Matthew Liebertor has pitched so well that he may, kind of leapfrog a little bit um he, he has looked really good and memphis looked good at the end of spring training is i mean how dane how does he come to the major leagues I, you know i 
I think he has to wait for the inevitable, which is mm-hmm. somebody can't get it done or gets hurt. And, you know, when you're talking about a rotation with Steven Matz and, and Jack Flaherty, they're probably going to get hurt at some point, right. you know, and, and who knows what Wainwright has. I mean, when's the last time he was truly effective and showed the kind of stuff that gives mm-hmm. you confidence he's going to be able to get, you know, outs via his crafty approach, you know, got, you know, I certainly hope he's effective, but I, I have my doubts. And I, there's going to be an opportunity there. And Libertori, as you mentioned, has looked really strong through three starts. And, you know, his, the command of his curveball has really improved. He's added, a, you know, a tick and a half or so of fastball velocity. I think his velocity really was up last night. I haven't looked at the numbers yet or two nights ago, whenever it was, he made his third start. But, I th- you know, let's not forget this guy was a uh, consensus top 30, type 40 type overall prospect. And, you know, was the centerpiece of that Rosarina trade from the Cardinal standpoint. This guy was a, you know, frontline pitching prospect. And uh, he looks like he might be taking that step. And they're probably going to need him sooner than they hope. Yeah, it, it definitely feels like it because we have seen a whole lot of, well, like you said, Alex, you said two good starts pretty much. And then Woodford tonight, you could probably add to that, that pile. Um Alex, and you're right, Dane has written on this, but I'll ask you that he can elaborate, though. How how much better did you feel about Jack Flaherty after him going into Colorado and actually pitching well versus his first two starts? Right. So I actually was not able to turn on that game till late, and he was already um, he had already been removed from the game, and I, I certainly saw the box score and saw what he did, but I, I really didn't get a feel for the start until I read – Dane's piece. And one thing that kind of jumped out at me and Dane, correct me if I'm, if I'm getting any of this wrong, but I think you highlighted that he was relying more on his slider and and less on the four seamer, but was still way more in the zone um, or near the zone than he had been in his previous starts, which I I guess, I mean, if you look at, he had like, you know, close to a 30% walk rate after his first two starts, maybe, maybe that's not, yeah, yeah, maybe that's not that. Yeah. Um, su- surprising. Um, but I-, I think just reading that kind of shocks me, not not the right word, but I would think if you're kind of focusing less on your fastball and, and more on uh, a pitch that moves, I-, I was surprised to see that he was actually still that close to the zone all game. Um, is that just because of how how off he had been the first two starts? Yeah, that would be my guess. I mean, that was, you know, he's obviously had command and control issues before, but nothing to the extent of the first two starts of this, you know, this season, you know. So I think that set a really low baseline. And, you know, I I wouldn't have written about this start at all in a normal Jack Flaherty year, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, but relative to that, those first two starts, it was just, it was notable. You know, he, uh, uh, you know, in a – First start in Coors Field, which was we all know is a hitter's haven. And if you look at Ballpark Pal, which is a really cool resource, and they kind of project how the weather for that day will affect, uh, you know how the how the park plays, and they projected uh, significant, like on the order of like twenty percent increase on you know hits and home runs. Um, so it was a it was you know a Coors Field day, even beyond the usual standards of Coors Field days, and he he thrived, you know. Uh, he got barreled up a few times, as you know, which is just what's going to happen these days. But 
the command and control were so much better and he uh, attacked the opposite side I thought really well and there were a lot of you know opposite side hitters in that Colorado lineup so you know relative to those first two starts I just thought he did really really well and maybe that's something to build off of hopefully so um, because I mean the rotation has been uh, a disaster as we know but you know if you get a better Jack Flaherty and we've seen good outings out of Jordan Montgomery then you can maybe start sketching some hope that things are going to, to turn around in that regard, at least. Um, but, you know, we also have to see more than one start too. Unfortunately, I, I think that we all know better than to make any draw a whole lot of conclusions off of one game, just the way the Cardinals have played all year long. I, I think a lot of us have thought they've turned a corner a couple of times only to, well, you know, go out to, and get shut out by the pirates last night. Um, so Dane, you mentioned Jordan Hicks in passing a minute ago too. Um, what's your thought there? Is there, is there anything the Cardinals can do there or are they just going to have to hope he can work his way through it? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, that's just, you know, whatever, whatever his issue is. And, you know, I don't know if it's overthrowing that sinker or if it's, you know, just command of his secondary pitches or I have no idea. You know, I mean, he's, we've been through this a lot with Jordan Hicks and you know, the stuff is just so incredible that you just, you know, surely he's going to take the next step and it just keeps not happening. And I'm out of answers at this point. And I just think, you know, I don't know if he needs a, you know, a low pressure, low leverage role to try to get straightened out and try to find some sort of approach that works or what, but it's just, uh, yeah, I just, he just has not taken that next step that we keep, you know, all waiting for him to take. I mean, I know he wants to be in the rotation. Maybe there's some frustration underlying this performance. I have no idea, but you know, the way to get yourself in the rotation is not struggle as a reliever. So yeah, it's just, yeah, I don't know what to say anymore. Yeah. Alex, I think you and I talked about this last week and I keep thinking that it's one of those things that you, you you start talking about it. And so that's about the time where a player then comes out and does exact opposite of whatever we've been saying. And so I felt like, you know, maybe this week would have been a good week, but we're still seeing the same problems. I mean, you know, if he's not walking the first batter, he's given up a home run, um, you know, out of the the pitching that we saw, you know, over the last couple of days, you know, he's, he stood out as that that's still a significant problem. Even if the Cardinals are, are publicly talking about how much he needs to concentrate on his first batter, if he's doing it, we're, we're not seeing the results. So I, I really like, I kind of like Dane. I don't know where you go with that. All I know is I feel very anxious when he's on the mound in, yes. in a way, in a way, that, in a way that I don't feel like I should feel, uh, as we talked about last week, Daniel, like he's been, he's been in the league for a while now. He's, he's, uh, he's close to being a free agent. Um, you know, 2018, I, I believe is when he debuted, uh, on that opening day when all of a sudden's like, Oh my gosh, who's, who's this guy straight from high A all of a sudden throwing 103 miles per hour, which we haven't seen before. And then the fast forward to today, kind of what I, I think Dane was talking about, like the progression just hasn't been there. And perhaps that's because he missed close to two seasons um, with injuries. I mean, uh, who knows about, you know, the COVID 2020 season um, certainly wasn't helpful for anybody. Um, and me not being a person who's qualified to even diagnose what, what is mm-hmm actual problem could be. I, I just 
don't feel confident it's going to happen uh, based on just the eye test and what I see. And like I said, I just I just don't feel comfortable with him on the mound, which which is a shame. Yeah, I mean, it's some it, it feels pretty clear unless something significantly changes that, you know, next year he's not going to be a, a St. Louis Cardinal. But that probably means he'll go to some place that you know makes one little tweak and he's like the most dominant player ever. Um, but this is, I mean, they right. you know, six years ago, this is not where we thought this story would be. Um, it's, it's really a regression from what we've seen. And so uh, I know it's frustrating for him. I know it's definitely frustrating for everybody involved, but you know, I think if, if Ollie Marmol hasn't already shifted him out of high leverage situations, I mean, he has to for, for quite some time, uh, because it, that's just, not going to happen. And, and we've seen there are people that can take their place like Drew Verhagen. Um, and Dane, I don't, I mean, I know Alex and I talked about, I think about Verhagen last week, but if you have any thoughts about how impressive he's been so far. Yeah, I really, yeah, I've, I've been impressed with him ever since spring. I mean, he just looked like, you know, you know I, last year was not a true picture of what he can do. And uh, I, he's a, uh, he's a right-handed uh core piece of that bullpen. He's a fulcrum, you know, getting the ball to, uh, to Helsley. And I think, uh, and I, I believe he's legit. I believe it's sustainable. And I think he's, uh, you know, you don't see a lot of all-star bids from middle relievers, but I think he's one of those guys that could, you know, be in the discussion. Yeah. And I agree with you that Jordan Hicks will absolutely take the next step with his next team. When the <laughs> Dodgers raise something like that, who will, yeah. he'll absolutely do that. Well, can I ask a follow-up question to that? Uh, Dane, do you think based on just the fact that everyone knows how hard Jordan Hicks throws and his off-speed pitches do have movement, even if his season this year continues on like this sort of trajectory, which is like he almost seems like he's not pitchable, do you still think there's a, a decent market for him when he hits free agency just because of what we know he's capable of, at least in terms of how hard he can throw it? Yeah, I think so. In the fact, in the in the sense that he would get a major league contract, I think. Uh, now, I you know he's not going to go out there and get four years or something like that. But yeah, I, I you see that big fastball and you know room to make adjustments. I mean, heck, maybe he needs to throw a four seamer all the time or something. I don't have. I, I'm completely talking to my ass. I'm not a pitching coach, but you know something like that, just a repertoire tweak, something uh, to unlock what he has. And I absolutely think someone will take a chance on that with a major league contract because. You know, teams love big arms, and teams are capable of fixing big arms every now and then. I mean, we saw it wasn't the same thing, but it, you know, maybe a similar path. You know, Alex Reyes gets signed by the Dodgers this offseason. Granted, smaller contract, and he's still working his way back from injury, but it feels like if yeah. if Alex Reyes had a chance, then Jordan Hicks is definitely going to. And now a word from our sponsors. Um. All right, well, let's shift gears then let's uh i I promised alex we would talk about wilson contreras so let's do that we saw uh contreras have some struggles tonight uh you know striking out with with runners on um offensively it has been iffy defense has has not seemed to be as much of an issue it doesn't seem to be um alex is this (laughs) is this a bust alex i mean come on is this are you are you really did to put that down yet no, no, not I, I. I'm not worried at all about his hitting. Actually, I think that's going to eventually come around and correct itself. I 
think when I spoke of this signing to, I'm, I'm trying to remember who I was talking to, I thought the fans were going to absolutely love this guy because his strengths are typically obvious, which is he's, he's a good offensive player, especially for a catcher. And his what were considered his weaknesses, pitch framing, um, I've heard some people say pitch, you know, like calling a game aren't as necessarily recognizable to just someone tuning in um, casually or even someone who's tuning in a lot. Um, that said, and I'm also going to preface this by saying I don't know if the stats back me up on this. So I, too, am about to talk out of my ass. But I don't know if I have stock, Stockholm syndrome with Yadier Molina, sort of him being our catcher for all these years. I am really noticing any time Wilson Contreras is receiving the ball poorly, or um, yeah, yeah, or, or just doing anything that I'm like, well, that just looks. I don't know if it's because I'm so used to that one constant behind the plate who's no longer there. So I don't know if I'm being too hard on him. Um, but I wasn't expecting it to be this glaring. And I don't know if it's actually my problem because like I said, I'm, I'm looking for it. Yeah. Yeah. But I'm not worried about... Sorry. I was just gonna say, I'm not worried about his offense. I'm really not. Go ahead, Dane. Yeah. I, I, I think that's, you know, obviously the big unknown with him is, you know, how is this, how's this framing going to be and that sort of thing. I think I checked the day and I, I'm sure it's too early for the numbers to have stabilized, but he was 50th percentile, uh, in, according to uh, uh, Savant, Statcast framing metrics, which, hey, we can live with that, you know? And, you know, I think, uh, I think people forget how horrid the production for the catcher position was last season. That bar is so low. And then Contreras, you know, I don't, I don't, you know, Contreras, I don't expect him to hit quite like he did last season. That seems like a, a bit of above the norm season for him, but if he just settles in at something close to his career level, he's a massive upgrade offensively, at least in the near term. And, you know, I, he's, he's, you know, by all the stories coming out of spring, he's very receptive to changing some things he does and that kind of thing. Uh, you know, saw him, uh, you know, getting down on one knee uh, last night and thought, you know, if memory serves, he's done it a couple times this season in an effort to uh, improve his framing. And, you know, that's, I, I think that willingness to uh, accept coaching and, and change his approach after all these many years in the, in the majors is pretty laudable. And uh, I think he's going to be acceptable in that regard. And, you know, the, the throwing arm is still elite and may become even more you know important in, in the way the rules changes has altered the game. So we'll see, but the bat's going to, the bat's going to be it, especially compared to last year. Yeah, I mean, I think I just looked and Contreras has a OPS plus of twenty nine, which yeah, is still better than Yadi. That's Yachty bad. Had last year. So I mean, yeah. with Yadi, I think it was at twenty five. So I mean, yeah, yeah, it, 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 it is going to, it's going to, it's got to be difficult. I wonder, and, and more so for a catcher, I guess, than any other position to switch teams, you know, to have to learn all that. And he's he's made such an effort on focusing on his defense and all that kind of stuff that. I mean, I hate to, it, it does sound like an excuse. Maybe it is, but it doesn't surprise me that much. Maybe that he has struggled offensively just because he's, that hasn't been the focus. And it, at some point in time, it'll, you know, he'll be kind of more comfortable and it'll click, but you know, until then it it's, it's a little bit frustrating to see the, the same kind of Yadier Molina treatment, right. That he's going to be hitting fifth, even if he's not hitting. Right. 
right um, and, yeah. and you know that i think i think that more than anything is where people are getting a little bit frustrated is yes he's going to be one of your core guys and yes hopefully by the end of the year he'll be hitting fifth on a regular basis but it doesn't seem to hurt to shift the lineup a little bit now when he is obviously struggling i mean alex does, is that you know is that part of it maybe that if he would just you know acknowledge this we'd feel a little bit better well, first off, I want to correct you. Mike Schilt would bat Yachty second, if I recall. Well, yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's fair. That is fair. Got to have that first inning double play. <laughs> uh, I I don't know if where he's currently batting in the, in the lineup bothers me that much right now. It's just because it is still so early, and I think it's reasonable to expect he just signed a big contract. Maybe he's still kind of just working through those. Like, look, I'm I'm pressing i'm really trying to hard to impress new new teammates new coaches new fans um and so i would have to think it's going to correct itself soon um that said yeah it, w- the numbers you just said i i what would you say he had like a 25 wrc plus 29, or, or yeah, 29 ops plus yeah that that's not good <laughs> i think we can all <laughs> agree on that and and probably uh speaks to why the, the the team, you know, has had some games where the offense hasn't quite been what we want it to be. Although, uh, Daniel, I can tell you they have now scored a run against the Pittsburgh Pirates and they're winning one nothing. if you have been yes. paying attention. Yes. Um, Dane, I, I wondered, talking to Daniel uh, last week, um, and again, I, I base this on really nothing, but we have a new catcher working with new pitchers in the same year uh, of the pitch clock, um, do, do you think that's a factor at all? Like you don't know your pitching staff as well, and now you also have kind of this pitching this this pitch clock. Which which let me be clear, I I absolutely love. I'm I could not yeah. be happier with with the pitch clock and the results we've seen so far. But do you think there's kind of like a comfort level that I don't know is going to be um, going to take a little bit longer for a, a guy who's not used to this pitching staff, like say a Yadier Molina, who's been catching these guys for years. I, I have no trouble believing that. I mean, I think they're probably, I'm, I'm a big supporter of the pitch clock. It's, it's increased my enjoyment of the game uh, tremendously, but I think they're probably uh, a good bit of a good number of unintended consequences. Some of which evade easy detection that are probably going on. You know, I, I saw someone speculating that some of these poor umpire performances behind the plate may be a result of the pitch clock. Sure, that sounds plausible. You know, there's probably all kinds of stuff mm-hmm. like that that's going to take a while for widespread adaptation to what this does to the rhythm that everyone's gotten accustomed to. So, yeah, I would have no problem believing that. And I think uh, one other thing, you know, part of me still wonders if uh, Contreras' knee is still bothering after taking that 102 mile an hour fastball from Jordan Hicks off his. Was it his right knee? I mean, that would be like his, you know, his drive leg at the plate. So, I mean, maybe that's something, you know, I don't know. Or, you know, the obvious answer is that it's been, what, 13 games for him or something. And that's why he's, you know, we shouldn't be overreacting to it. But what fun is that? <laughs> we, we do this show weekly. We got to talk about something. <laughs> right. um, yeah. So, uh, and, and as much as we may try to stay away from hot takes, you know, they're sometimes unavoidable. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I... You know, again, I don't, I have seen it on Twitter because that's Twitter and everything. You yeah. get the Dexter Fowler comparisons, but 
I think that really the only thing that's the same is they were both former Cubs. They were both probably the best at their position, and the Cardinals went and brought got them in. But I don't expect that Wilson Contreras' time in St. Louis will mirror Dexter Fowler's by, you know, by the end of the year even. No, I don't. Yeah, I, I, I did not care for the Dexter Fowler signing at the time, and mm-hmm. I was a big advocate for the Contreras signing. So uh, obviously Contreras needs to succeed to – justify that opinion of mine and we'll see <laughs> um when you look at the offense and again it's been a little bit scattershot maybe not quite as consistent as we would like but dane is there is there anybody that surprised you this early in the season and how well they're doing burleson i guess uh he's a dude i mean you know he was uh you know, he, he popped up on some top 100 prospect lists. He's got, or you know, you look at him, you think this guy would strike out 200 times and hit 22 homers, you know, mm-hmm. and that's not the kind of hitter he is. I mean, he's got power, but he's also got very good contact skills. And I think he's a really promising future piece that is understandably kind of getting buried under, you know, the Jordan Walker debut and the, you know, the Nolan Gorman uh, swing adjustments that are bearing tremendous fruit so far and that kind of thing. But Burleson's a guy that I'm, I find myself pretty excited about. And uh, uh, I think uh, they may have one of those prototypical, how do the Cardinals do this so often type of guys. Yeah. You know, there, there was talk that at the end of spring, that the decision, the last decision wasn't um, Walker versus Burleson. It was more Walker versus Carlson. The Burleson was on this team. We're about to see Lars Newtbar come back. We've seen, obviously, Jordan Walker take to Major League without much difficulty. Is that going to be a problem for Burleson? I mean, is he going to is he going to get a little bit squeezed? Because it feels like they're going to keep him in the majors. But, you know, how does he fit in with the four outfielders that are already there? Yeah, I think it's going to be tough. You know, it's it, it already feels crowded. And as you mentioned, Newtbar's not back yet, you know. So, uh I, I think he's just, I think he's earned his, you know, the Cardinals are always preaching about competition and performance determines roster spots and roles and all that kind of thing. And how, how do you tell Alec Burleson that, you know, thanks for being one of our best hitters. It's time to go to Memphis. And mm-hmm. I think, uh, you know, the universal DH helps ease that log jam a little, I think cycling him through that, you know, he's uh, the left-handed pinch hitter or first resort on times when he's not in the lineup against the right hander and that kind of thing. So, uh, yeah, I, I, right now, I think you have to find a role for him, but you got to find him at bats. You know, I think he's too promising to let him sit around and, and, and gravitate into a, you know, a long-term bench role. Uh, he needs, he needs reps. And, but right now he's earned, he's earned his stay. Alex, what are you thinking on this outfield log jam? And we haven't even talked about Juan Yepes, who does seem to be the odd man out because he was the odd man out earlier. But, you know, I mean, where do you where are you landing on this? I, I more or less agree with what Dane said. I, I think there's plenty of season in front of us for Burleson to show, like, okay, we can send him down now. But there's no reason to send him down right now um, with the way he's hitting and and – uh, yeah. Oh, sorry. Um, I just saw re- while I was talking, I saw a replay of a play Tommy Edmond made in the field that I, I kid you was not, was, 
Ozzy Smith-like is what I'll say. It was oh, a, I missed this. Okay. I'm he, gonna have to... he made an ac- excellent play going to his right and, and then throwing the guy out at first. Um, anyway. Um, There's been some yeah, deep yeah, in yeah, uh, uh, I would have to think Yepes is going to be the guy that they're going to to send down, even though we all know he can certainly mash, um, but he doesn't have, seem to be as kind of toolsy as as the other guys. Um, so Carlson, I still feel like there's something really good there, um, even though... Uh, Gosh, it, it feels like it's been a while since we've seen that. Now, granted, he's—I—I I, I think he was, you know, perhaps a little nicked up last year. Um, but yeah, it, it'll be interesting. And I, I guess I never fret about this stuff all that much, especially now with the universal DH, because it does seem to always work itself out in some way or another. Um, and if, if our worst problem is, gosh, we have too many guys, who who are we going to send to Memphis? Um, that, you know, that's that's certainly a better problem than, oh my gosh, we don't have a single, uh, you know, what are we going to do with Jordan Hicks or, you know, like what, what do we have a, a starting pitcher past the first two? You know, this is a much better problem to have than, than those. So, um, I guess I'm not too worried about it in terms of your question of like who on this team has surprised me, uh, I got to go with Nolan Gorman. I mean, he's slugging close to, I, I think last I saw close to 700 has like a, uh, he's, he's hitting the type of home runs that we would sometimes see those clips from when he was in the minors. And, and that's like when he connects with one, he just really connects with one. Um, and the, especially to be getting this sort of production so far from a, a guy in the infield is just, just really been nice to see. Yeah. I, I think again, it's another one of those situations where the Cardinals told Nolan Gorman to go work on something this winter. And he did. And, that's and they're rewarding him a little bit for that and he's rewarding them for you know rewarding him which starts to get into some sort of loop i think but um so it's yeah it's been great and you know it hasn't and we've talked a lot about the outfield and how they're going to work that but you know they've had the same kind of not quite the same kind of log gym on the infield but you know brendan donovan's having no problem playing uh and nolan gorman's having no problem playing. we're not having to, to worry too much about sitting these guys out um partly because of the dh and things of that nature so um but yeah it's been it's been fun to see that kind of development um because i don't know i mean there's so many times we've seen a you know a hyped rookie that comes up and, and kind of struggles and maybe never really lives up to the hype and i'm not saying that gorman is yet but i mean dane it's it's nice to see a rookie come up and i mean not, not a rookie because he's had last year but still a young player come up and start to fulfill some of that promise yeah, I'm really impressed by Gorman so far. Uh, I got to, you know, I have it in my notes to do a little deeper dive on him. Uh, but he's, you know, I, I was looking at his uh, his heat maps the other night, and sure enough, he has learned to lay off those high fastballs that plagued him so badly last year. And we all knew he had this kind of raw power, and he is just, he's turning around major league pitching and smoking it regularly. And the contact, skills are elite he's improved his patience and these are all kind of things that become pretty meaningful very early in the season and I, you know we're dealing with small sample size and that kind of thing but I, this is sign these are signs of genuine growth here on the part of gorman and uh 
you know, again, he's another guy. We, we've all been understandably talking about Jordan Walker for so long that we forget what a premium prospect Gorman was not so long ago. And he's looking like he's taking that next step. So staying in the middle infield, though, um, Paul DeYoung is at Memphis. Paul DeYoung is on rehab assignment. Um, Paul DeYoung is, well, not necessarily lighting it up down there, but it feels, I mean, it doesn't, it's not going to be long where they have to make a decision on Paul DeYoung. Um, Dane, does, I mean, is this the path of least resistance? They bring him up, stick him on the bench and use him once or twice a week? I mean, I, I guess uh, they seem pretty infatuated with, with Motter uh, for reasons I don't entirely understand. Hmm. So I don't know if that creates a potential situation here or not. You know, I mean, what, what's, you know, who's, who's given up their spot for him, uh, for DeYoung once, you know, once you, you know, account for Newt Bar coming back. Right. Uh, yeah, I don't know. So I don't know. I, I, I'm, I'm going to be very interested to see how it plays out. Uh, we know, we know DeYoung's glove is, is elite and that gives him value, but I just, you know, I know he's adjusted his swing and that sort of thing, but I just, uh, I'll, I'll believe it when I see it. Uh, that's how bad his struggles have been over the last couple of years. Uh, I just, I, yeah, I don't know. It's, it's, it's not the most important Cardinals consideration right now, but it's, it's one that I'm most interested in to see how they figure it out. Alex, I mean, it, it does feel like in the past we would just kind of be counting the days till Paul DeYoung started, you know, making starts again for the Cardinals under different management. Um, I don't think that, you know, Marmol and, and company are like that. Um, does that give you a little bit more confidence that we aren't going to see a whole lot of Paul DeYoung when he comes back up if he does? It does. And, and I think he's been, gosh, I, 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 almost feel bad saying this. I think he's, his play has been poor enough that I don't even know if the, some of the previous regimes would have kind of made him a mainstay in the lineup. Uh, And, you know, I, I mentioned, I feel bad saying that because I I like Paul DeYoung. (laughs) Yeah. I, I, there was something about his class. um, A lot of, a lot of the prospects when he was a prospect, I just became attached to because that was kind of around the time when I started getting into the minor league side of, of the team. And sometimes when you watch a, a guy develop and then make it to, to the big leagues, I think I still remember his debut in Colorado. You become almost attached to these guys in the same way you can understand like the club does. Um, and it can be hard to say like, yeah, it's time to cut this guy loose or give him the kind of Johnny Peralta farewell. Um but I, I, I can't imagine with a, a healthy Tommy Edmond um, that he would have a role beyond what you just described. Yeah, I, I would I would hope not. I, yeah, I, I can't I can't. Imagine which, which is fine, really. I, I mean, but, it, it, he's a shortstop. He doesn't it's not as if we're talking about a, a first. It, it's OK if he does play, um, you know. Right two games a week and we're not talking about like a production we're expecting from like a first baseman or I don't know, a corner outfielder. Also, apparently all we have to do is talk about him. Wilson Contreras drives in a run um, here in the seventh inning. Um, With a palpable sense of relief. 
after doing yeah. it. <laughs> he's gonna he's gonna he's unlocked, he is fixed. Yep, yep. We we did it, folks. Yeah. That's great. Um, <laughs> we have done it. So um all right. Um yeah, I, I, I think that's that's where we're at. I think that you know, other than that, we're seeing the 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 um, you know the Goldschmidt and the Arnotto and and doing what they do, um, which is good. Um, Donovan has, I, I guess, I'm a little bit surprised. Maybe uh, at, not that I expected Donovan to fall off a table or something like that, but it just that kind of player sometimes has a really good year and then you don't hear from him again and he really struggles. And it, you know, Dana doesn't seem like that's been the case. You know, early on right now, it feels like he's just kind of picked up where he left off. Talking about Donovan. Yeah. Yeah. I, you know, he's another guy that uh, worked on developing power uh, this mm-hmm. off season and, you know, switched to that hockey puck bat like Goldschmidt uses. And, uh, you know, we've seen, so, you know, the, the home run totals haven't quite been there yet, but it's early and he is hitting the ball hard and he just provides value in so many other ways that, uh, you know, I think the offensive bar is a little low for him and anything he can, you know, uh, if he just continues doing well, what he did last year, which is work counts and get on base, uh, that plus his defense and his positional flexibility, the power is just gravy at that point. He's, he's just a really nice player to have. And, uh, uh, he's found a prominent role with this team and, you know, he's, he's, he's an everyday guy or as close to anything like an everyday guy outside of Goldschmidt and Arenado that Marmol has. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, you know, again, we, we continue to talk about how this lineup is a very strong and deep lineup, and that's that's true. All the problems offensively are kind of the good problem to have type of things of having too many too many bats and not enough spots. So, and yet um, they're five and eight. Yeah, which you know, how trouble? I mean, I mean, it's early. All those caveats, um, but we are almost to the 10 percent of the season spot. How? I mean, how concerned are you about that start? I mean, is it just something you just pass off or is it something that, you know, is going to, you feel like may come back to bite them later on? I, I, you know, this is potentially a tight division, you know, Uh, the Brewers are probably a good team. I don't, you know, I don't see another contender in the division outside of the Brewers, but I think this could be one of those years in a divisional race where, you know, a handful of games decides it. And with the unbalancing or what the, uh, you know, the more balanced schedule, uh, the Cardinals are going to have tougher competition. They're not going to be able to play the Reds and the Pirates and the Cubs as often this year. And I think that's going to put Milwaukee and the Cardinals maybe needing the division title to get in the postseason as opposed to a wild card berth, even with the expanded postseason. So, yeah, these, these things – you know, I kind of keep a mental tally of that was a stupid loss or that was a stupid win. And, you know, we probably need the stupid wins to outnumber the stupid losses by the end of the season. Alex, and I know how important the Cardinals being better than the Pirates is to you. Um, <laughs> so, um, is there but, a story you know, here? Are you from Pittsburgh or something? No, my uh, one of my favorite streaks in sports is that the Cardinals have finished ahead of the Pirates in the standings um, every year since 2000. Oh, I was completely unaware of that. Okay. Yeah. So, um, that is, if, that's remarkable. <laughs> I actually wrote Ben Lindbergh one time um, because I was, I, I think this was like three years ago. 
you know, for an effectively wild question, and he ran it through the uh, stat blast or whatever they have over there. And it is definitely the longest ongoing streak. And I think is now maybe the second longest ever. Uh, but <laughs> number one, number one, if I recall, was I think the Yankees finished ahead of like the Philadelphia Athletics. For like fifty years, like fifty years in a row, or something. I, I forget what it was, but uh, so they're probably not gonna be able to touch that. But um, yes, yeah, so the last time the Pirates finished ahead of the Cardinals was nineteen ninety nine, and if you think about it, it makes sense because we all know once Bonds left, they didn't um, right. finish above five hundred until that two thousand thirteen season, and they had those three seasons when they were. They were very good, but we were always just a little better than them from 2013 through 2015, and then they went back down. So uh, their uh, their kind of you know, you know short stint of being good kind of coincided with us being very very good. If Bob Nutting can live to like 110 or something, there's a shot. <laughs> <laughs> so the card, if the Cardinals, what, yeah. What was your what was your question, yeah. Daniel? <laughs> I hadn't gotten that far yet, so that's okay. fine. Um, if the Cardinals, you know, win tonight, oh, or, yeah, if they're six, winning, um, it'll be six and, and eight. Yeah. yeah, and then you know, and, and win the next two. So if they go, you know, take three or four of the series, they're back to five hundred. Yeah. Um, even though it's you know those wins this week have come against Pittsburgh and Colorado, does that give them? that kind of momentum as they start into a, a little bit harder stretch, they've got Arizona and then they go out to the West coast, play Seattle and, and San Francisco. Do you feel a little bit better about them at eight and eight than, you know, even seven and nine? Sure. I mean, I, I would say a bad start like this at the very least is annoying, right? Like that's the best thing you can say about it. Um, it doesn't mean it's the end of the world, especially in a 162 game season, but I think we can at least call it annoying without being, you know, accused of overreacting. Uh, and I would echo what Dane said. I don't know how much currency or we have to worry about the fact that we're not going to have 57 games against the Cubs, Pirates, and Reds combined. But I think it's at least worth worrying a little bit about it, um, you know, because that means we're going to be, you know, we, we'll have games against all the, those ALS, a- AL East teams and, you um, you know, uh, a lot of those games are going to be replaced by teams that are better. Um, again, uh, I don't know how big of a difference that that should make, and this should still be a team, in my opinion, that wins the division. But as we saw last year, are they going to be good enough to, you know, it's it's nice to bank some wins whenever you can because you can still win the division, and as we saw last year, still get stuck with that kind of annoying opening series as, as we did against the Phillies when it doesn't matter who you're playing, anyone can lose a, a three game series. So Dave, but yes, yeah, go, eight yeah. and eight is better than seven and nine. <laughs> yes. Yeah, so now that, now that Alex has answered the question, um, <laughs> Dane, what do you think? I mean, is that even though that's been weaker competition, does it make you feel better about this team? Yeah. Uh, you know, I don't want to count the chickens before they hatch here. Sure. Uh, we still got a reasonably close game here and two more to play. This could be a disaster series uh, against the Pirates. Who knows? But, yeah, I mean, 
win games, you know, regardless of who it comes mm-hmm. against, especially when you, you know, uh, play like you did against the Braves. And, you know, they played a little better against the Brewers, but it was still a disappointing series. And, yeah, I mean, I, I think, you know, you look up and down this roster and five and eight just doesn't feel right. This this should be better. You know, they, sh- they should be a better team than this. And it's early overreacting. I, I think a lot of it has to do with just the frustrating nature of it, just all these squandered opportunities with runners in scoring position and that kind of thing, which we know will probably even out given time and they'll you know get their share of hits in those situations. But the frustration does mount. I think Alex's word annoying is very – very apt for this and that's uh that's that's what i've been pretty much since the toronto series is just vaguely annoyed by this team and uh <laughs> that's you know that you know plenty of time for that to change and i feel like it will soon yeah um last topic before we go though we have to talk about um you know jordan walker 12 game hitting streak comes to an end yesterday but um dane what have you seen out of him and how you know, what are your, your, some thoughts about him as he's, you know, started his career? First off, Marmol's on my list tonight for playing him. Uh, I really thought he needed a mental day off, complete day off. And mm. here he is now pinch running and now playing the field. And uh, I just, uh, I object to that. I'll give the man a day off. But I, I, uh, the exit velocities are deeply impressive. And I think they, bode very well for his future, particularly once you consider how well he did in the minors and, you know, how much he's thrived against o- older competition. And, you know, this year being skipping over AAA entirely, once you apply all the contexts, his impressive start becomes even more impressive. I'm a little worried about the ground ball tendencies. You know, I think to really tap into his power, he's going to need to hit the ball in the air more. It's not like condition critical or anything like that yet, but, uh, he needs to elevate the ball more to really make full use of his skills. And there's definitely time to do that, you know? Uh, but I, that's, that's one thing I'm, if, if there's a turn in the punch bowl with Jordan Walker, it's his ground ball tendencies, but otherwise I'm just profoundly impressed by everything he's done this season. Alex. I mean, what do you think? I mean, has this been what you expected more? So what do you think? Well, Daniel, I remember when you were talking to Katie Wu, I want to say it was right when spring training began. Mm -hmm. Uh, So I don't know. It was was late February or or late late January, right? Maybe right before spring training. Okay. Okay. So even, even before then. And she basically said, um, this guy is going to be very special. And that jumped out at me because you don't hear beat writers often talk that way about prospects um you know they are they're smarter than you know people like me like average fans who are just like oh my gosh this guy's gonna be incredible um so to hear a a beat writer someone who spends that much time with the team say like okay this person is gonna be very good and then i um and not that that was the first time i'd heard that i mean people were talking i've been talking about him for for a while now um but then to just see him play and look like a guy who instantly belongs, I, I think is the best way to say. It. Um, he just looked like a major leaguer the first time I saw him in in, in the box. Um, 
I, I mean, I guess to a less glamorous example, I would say, would be, I remember the first time I saw Stephen Piscotty play. I thought, okay, that guy's going to have a major league career. He just looks like he belongs. Um, now, obviously, Piscotty was never lauded like um, Jordan Walker is, and I think most people would hope Jordan Walker, just based on his um, accolades so far and just his potential so far, will have a better career than Piscotty. But yeah, it's 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 not often that prospects are like this. And um, Dane, I, I'm I'm curious if this early into his career, would you bet? Would you bet more on him being great than not? Because you would almost never say that about a prospect, right? Like especially in a sport like baseball, um, where it's not quite as evident as like I don't know. When Shaquille O'Neal came in the league, there was no doubt he was going to be amazing. Right. Um, baseball doesn't always work out like that. Um, uh, so, but if if you could, but it seems like most people are are assuming like, yeah, if, if I had to put money on it, I would bet on him being great. I, I would, I would, I would never bet on a rookie to be to have a great career just because they're so rare. Mm-hmm. I will say I think I would bet on Jordan Walker being a very good player, at least, uh, meaning, you know, a couple all-star appearances uh, worthy of a nine-figure contract at some point, that kind of thing, you know. Uh, I, yeah, I think I would be surprised if he's not a very good player, meaning, you know, 30-40 war, that sort of thing. Uh, as a fan, my hopes are that he's going to be much better than that. And I'm going to adjust that upward as we get along. I'm just not willing to place that kind of bet of greatness on a guy, you know, 13 games into his career, no matter how Same. impressive his performance and pedigree and that sort of thing. But right now, it's a, it's about as encouraging as you could get once you take into account his age and skipping over AAA and still learning a new position that probably adds stress to his you know, mental state and that sort of thing. And just wholly impressive. Well, the Cardinals have finished up uh, winning this game. Uh, Six and eight. There you go. So uh, <laughs> climbing that, uh, digging out of that hole, uh, if, if you can. Um, so uh, we will go ahead and take their cue and wrap this up as well. Uh, but, Dane, it has been a lot of fun. Thanks for joining us. We'll have to do it again sometime. Daniel, Alex, it's been a lot of fun, man. This was, this was enjoyable. I really enjoyed talking about them. Always fun to, you know, chew the fat about the cards. Well, and, and um, we'll be back at it again next week, hopefully talking about maybe a team that's over 500, but we'll, we'll wait and see. We won't, we won't jinx them. But until then, for Dane and Alex, I'm Daniel. Good night. The swing and a long fly ball to left by Ozzie. He wouldn't, would he? Goodbye. He did. Woo!